I have lived my life every step of the way with the meta theme of if I was the heroine in a book that I was reading, what would the heroine do? What would she do? And then I would do that thing, whatever that was. And I really always had that. I love to read so much. And, you know, the kinds of books that I would read typically were stories of female heroes of some kind. And so I wanted to be the hero of my own story. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama House Schools is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom. And whatever your goals are, together we're making them a reality. Have you ever heard someone say, just make sure you wear clean underwear? Maybe you have and maybe you haven't, but Allie Katz is a family financial and legal expert who supports founders, CEOs, coaches, practitioners, advisors, creatives, and service-based entrepreneurs with establishing legal, insurance, financial, and tax systems in their businesses and lives. Allie graduated first in her class from Georgetown Law while raising her two children, and then Allie built her own seven-figure law practice and then a million-dollar online training company before giving up on business due to over $1 million in mistakes that could have been easily avoided had she known what you'll learn in her Lyft Business Foundation Blueprint as well as so many things that we talked through today. Ali learned from these mistakes and was able to rebuild. And as a result, she's taken her business from inconsistent income to now an eight-figure business. She is the go-to advisor for industry leaders, including many other lawyers, and is sharing her mistakes and lessons with you so that you can trust your own business and life foundations to support you and your next right income model, choice of different setups and financial success, and consistent income that you can count on as well as different tax systems and everything else that your family legacy may need for success for generations to come. We talk through money dysmorphia, different money goals for your family, what documents you really need, how to set yourself up for success, naming legal guardians for your kids and how to do it the right way, a simple way to get started and take action on that today and why we all need to have it set up and why this is important for everyone, regardless of your financial situation, And maybe even more important, if you don't think you have as much money as is needed for these different things. We talk through parenting teenagers and young adults and how to guide, but not always make all the decisions for them. This is such a good episode. Cannot wait for you to dive all in and listen to Allie. Allie, I'm so excited to have you here today. One of my favorite things is bringing on women that are really multifaceted and they have so many different parts of their story and their journey. And they take their personal life experiences and impact others in different ways. So I'm really excited to tap into all of those different things. But if you were to meet someone 10 years ago and you were to say, hi, I'm Allie and this is what I do. I want to know what Allie was doing 10 years ago and how you would have explained yourself personally and professionally. Wow, that's an interesting time frame because 10 years ago, I was really just coming out of a spiritual crisis and awakening that had me in a huge process of questioning everything that I had created up until that point. And I was actually just on the other side of it. And that, that, that spiritual crisis awakening, it was about two years. It was probably some form of a midlife crisis. You can yeah. have many times, quarter life crisis, midlife crisis. I don't know. Who knows? But it, it was this 
time between what I've heard people call the first mountain and the second mountain. Yeah. I had climbed the first mountain as very successful traditional lawyer in many respects. I was a family financial and legal expert on TV. I was the author of a best-selling book on legal planning for families. My kids were in private school. I lived, you know, a few houses from the beach. I had built a million-dollar law practice. I had sold that law practice, and I had a training company for lawyers. And yet I was really miserable in many respects. And I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. Like, what? what? I followed all the rules. I did everything I was supposed to do. My kids were, must have been third grade for my daughter and maybe kindergarten, first grade for my son. And I was just in this place of this can't be what life is. You know, I made it and yet this isn't it. And today plant medicine is is ubiquitous. I don't know if it is in the world that you're in. Is plant medicine, is plant medicine a thing around this? Place? Our community <laughs> specifically, I don't think is as actively involved, but I think in the self-development and personal growth space, there yeah. are definitely people that are always looking for different methods to find themselves and uh, yes. work through it. I had already done all the method. I had found church and I was a Jewish girl growing up being told that God was for stupid people. So finding a church was very strange for me. And yet I had found church. I had found God. I'd found this mental awakening place of, oh, my, my mind creates reality. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'd had that. I'd had that awakening. I'd had awakening into my feminine and into my body. I'd had awakening into oneness and, and into this understanding that we're all one. And yet I was still really unhappy. And life conspired in this way to say, okay, go do this plant medicine called ayahuasca. And I was very resistant to it because I was like, oh, people are just using that to get high. You know, I shouldn't do that. But I did. And, and in that experience, I had a visceral understanding and a vision of a world that works for everyone, a world where we live in harmony, a world where we're raising kids in community, growing food, living on land. And it just pierced my heart. And I grew up in Miami, so I never had a vision of anything like I'd never seen yeah. anything like that. But I, I felt it and I saw it in this vision space. And then I came back into my life after that and I saw systematically every single place that because of my conditioning and programming, I had created the exact opposite mm -hmm. where I was my leadership. And the leadership paradigms that I was following, mostly from men, my father and the law firm partners that I worked for at the first firm that I worked for, I, I, I could see, oh, th this isn't the path. I don't want to be this kind of a leader. Everything was win-lose and just very, I could see what was making me unhappy. And so I left Los Angeles, moved to Colorado and... So 10 years ago, I was just coming out the other side of that and deciding that I was actually meant to be a lawyer, that I was meant to build something significant from this new paradigm perspective of really feminine leadership. 
of bringing my full self to the world. And I didn't yet know how I was going to do that because I had to rebuild. When I left Los Angeles, I walked away from everything I had created. I moved to a farm and I decided at that time, I don't want to be in business if this is what business is. I'm just going to raise my kids. I'm going to drive them to school every day. I'm going to learn to cook for my family because I'd always like paid people to cook. I'm going to go to the grocery store again. I'm going to really learn how to be a mother in that aspect of like really taking care of the home, which I'd really, I'd never learned to do because I was always working. I was always, I was working at a big law firm or growing my own law practice. So I'm going to do this and maybe I'm just not going to be in this world. But then it became very clear that my role, part of my role is to actually create resource. And that way I can use that resource to create a new paradigm and really be a model of of what's possible when we don't do it that old way. We need examples of how to do something in a new way. But 10 years ago, I still didn't really know what the new way was. I was just still seeing all the places that I needed to learn and grow and evolve. I was still stuck in money dysmorphia that needed to be healed. I was really needing to learn how to be able to be a mother, yeah. which sounds strange, but my, my daughter was like starting to come into her teenage years at that point. And my teenage years were very difficult for me. And so all of the ways that my teenage years were difficult, I was going to need to face as she came into her teenage years, because we have to do that as moms. We face all of our own stuff, yeah, through them. And so I needed to learn how could I be a woman in business, a CEO, and be a mother in a way that I really wanted to be, especially to be able to get my kids through their teenage years, which that was, yeah. we think the toddler years are really hard, but the teenage years. Teenage years are hard. <laughs> Every season has its hard, right? And yeah. What I think is really important about your story and your journey is you didn't see a path. And so often we're looking for someone to help guide us to where we want to go. And sometimes we can get support. We can get someone that has resources. And they can help us have these bumpers or this map, but we have to make it our own. And so going back to even when you were in law school, you were graduating first of your class right before getting married, then going into having your first child later that year, such a jam-packed, busy year to now 10 years ago from today, really reinventing yourself all over again and redoing that path. So whether it was coming out of law school It was leaving the law firm after your second child and not returning from maternity leave and then having this kind of crises that you were explaining and coming into. In each of those seasons, how did you get the confidence and the courage to define your own path, to take the next step? When you're in that really hard place and you have to just take step one, what is the way that you get there? Yeah. I have lived my life every step of the way with the meta theme of if I was the heroine in a book that I was reading, what would the heroine do? What would she do? And then I would do that thing. 
whatever that was. And I really always had that. I love to read so much. And, you know, the kinds of books that I would read typically were stories of female heroes of some kind. And so I wanted to be the hero of my own story. And I really had a pretty significant victim story, victim consciousness for a long time. And I knew that it was harming me. And I knew that the only way for it not like for me to be able to change it would be to really understand that I could change it. If you have a victim consciousness, it can be very difficult to actually know that you can change it. (laughs) It's kind of part of the loop of the I suck loop. And I think when I look back at each of these moments of really needing to do something different, I prayed a lot. I prayed a lot. Sometimes I didn't even know that I was praying. There was a time where I didn't think of spirit at all. I didn't think of a relationship with higher power at all. I thought it was all me. I thought I was doing everything myself. Yeah, but maybe that's where you need to start. You're praying to yourself, right? A higher level version of yourself. It really doesn't have to be this defined thing. We don't need to go into all the side parts of that, but for whatever it is for you, like you're praying for a version of you and where you're going. That is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right, Kelsey. I was praying to the higher version purpose of myself. You You nailed it actually right there. It was like, come on. I know you're in there. I know that you, meaning me, the version of myself that like really knew that I was here. And I'll, and I'll take you to the, uh, the, one of the lowest moments of my life when this really clicked in. My kids, my dad had recently died and that was a pretty devastating experience because he and I were very close. My son must have been just over a year. So my daughter would have been just over five. And I was on the couch one Sunday, really lethargic. Actually, he was almost two. I remember thinking, wow, I'm still holding the baby weight. And he was two. And I had gained about 70 pounds with my daughter and then not as much with my son, but I was still holding the weight in my, in just not even just physically, but emotionally and energetically. And I was lethargic. That was the really the big thing. And I'm sitting on the couch watching TV. And I thought, oh, this is what my, this can't, no, this can't be what I chose. And I'm, no, something has to be different. And I read a book by this woman, Shakti Gawain. And it was, I can't, I think the book is called like Creative Expression or something like that. And it was about using your mind to create reality. And it, it changed in that moment. In that moment, I realized, okay, I'm the one that has the power to change this. What am I going to do? I'm the one, I'm the only one that can get me off the couch to do something the next day. And I said, okay, okay. I'm going to go to yoga the next day. And this was on Monday night. I'm going to go to yoga. I'd never been to yoga in my life. I guess today everybody goes to yoga, right? I had not gone to yoga. This was about 20 years ago, right? 
Yeah, that's what your kids. <laughs> totally. Yeah, this was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, Eighteen years ago. Okay. Um, I went to yoga, and repeatedly throughout my life, those sorts of things happened. When I actually let myself feel how bad I felt about what I had created, or any other bottom of the barrel moment that we have, we all have them. But okay. in that moment, I didn't turn. I didn't turn away. I turned toward it faced it, decided something was going to be different, and the very next day did something different. Mm. And I love that it's that two parts there, right? I recognized it. I felt it. I decided I was going to do something different. And then Mm -hmm. I did. Because if you just stay in your brain and you don't take that action, then we don't see the result that we're looking for. We still have to take that action. So I think that's so important. Now, from that point, 18 years ago, to which you had just started your own firm at that point, right? Like about a year or so before that. Going up into 10 years later when you had this real spiritual crisis and looking to what you wanted to do, you've always done things differently. And a typical law field is not accepting of all these different things, especially in the law field. And this can show up in other areas, being a woman, being a mother, being a lawyer and having this more spiritual guidedness to the way that you operate and do business. How did you allow yourself to trust your instinct and be different when you were, I'm sure, often misunderstood or judged for the different ways of choosing to operate, whether it was as a mom? Now, I I would love to talk a little bit about that you have this community living situation. There's definitely people that aren't going to understand. How is this lawyer doing all these different things, multimillionaire, putting all this together? How do you stay strong in who you are and what's right for you? It happened in, it really, that happened in waves. In law school, the only thing I cared about was graduating first in my law school class. Uh, I, and, and, and maybe in some ways, I was very outcast in high school, like deeply outcast in a way that in, in some ways it created this hard shell that was, Mm -hmm. that has been useful in my life because I needed to deal with that, with the pain of that in some way. And I dealt with it by creating this shell around me, this protective shell. And so then when I was in college, I started to let people back in again. And I did things that I never imagined I would do, like joining a sorority, which was amazing and so much fun. But then again, there was something, and I can't remember now what it was, but I got hurt. And I put this and I put this shell back on. And what I began, though, to realize through that time is that if I succeeded, it was protection. My mm-hmm. success could be protection. Right. And so graduating first in my class, working at one of the best law firms in the country, building my law practice into a million dollar business. In a way, those things were my protection. So I didn't have a lot of friends during that time. I didn't really, frankly, really didn't have time for friends, but I really wanted friends. As moms, I think that having other mom friends is almost like such like the most important thing because it can be so lonely. And I had a couple. I had like maybe three, but I wanted more. And there was like the cool moms and I couldn't really hang out with them. Oftentimes, because they weren't working, they, they weren't working outside the home. They were certainly working, but yeah. we didn't have a lot to relate about, really. Yeah. And so I didn't fit in with them. And that was really challenging for me. 
but I could still be successful, right? I could still hang my hat on success, on like business success and financial success. Ultimately, though, that wasn't fulfilling. That wasn't enough. I wanted heart connection with people. Like I really wanted heart connection with people. And I really ultimately just wanted to be connected to all of the parts of myself. Like I'm not just business. I think that's a very masculine way of being, which I'm very connected with my masculine self and my drive and my focus and my purpose and my determination is all very critically important to me. My dharma, all of that. But I'm also a feminine being that loves community and connection and softness and love and tribe. And so I have needed to learn how to, first of all, balance these parts inside of myself. These parts in me were at war for a long time. And I think that was part of the spiritual crisis time when I'm like walked away from everything success oriented because I needed to make space for the feminine parts of me to be able to come through. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to put business to the side for a minute so that I could even actually learn to feel myself. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't really realize, I don't think, how different I was. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I was just how I was. Yeah. And sometimes we don't really realize how different we are. Now, looking back, I can see, oh, wow, yeah, I've always been really different and Wow, that's so fantastic. Today, I'm running a $10 million enterprise. We had, just today, we had our State of the Union, our end of the year State of the Union for our company. And we had a, a puppet come do a 30-minute, like, awards show. It was hysterical. <laughs> he was really funny. And everything that I do has been done in an unconventional way. Yeah. And... I think that the sooner that we can really accept full range of who we are and embrace the ways that we are really different and be honest about them and bring those ways forward with vulnerability, the faster we are going to have the kind of success that I'm only now really experiencing, which is like the true fulfillment I accept all of myself. I don't think there's any amount of money. I don't think that there's any amount of accolades or external recognition or any of it that can be as good as full 100% acceptance of self. When I accept the full range of all of who I am, whatever that looks like, that's the ultimate fulfillment. And I think when you're starting to get on the other side of that, it becomes a little more, it makes more sense. You're like, I am learning to love all of me. I'm learning to love my whole journey. I see why, especially in what you do, you have to have the masculine energy. You have to have this organization. You're going to have a state of the union, but we're going to bring in the feminine and bring in a puppet and have it be fun. So you're able to really play both sides because there's beauty in both, right? And that's why there is both. As a parent, and especially as your kids being young adults and in, in many ways a very challenging season of their lives, 
and a challenging season as a mom to figure out where am I holding hands, where am I letting go and saying fly, little bird. What are some ways that you're helping nurture this? And is there something that's worked really well to say you only even know part of you right now? I think that's what's so challenging about that age is you can't even embody all of you because you haven't even fully experienced all of yourself yet. How do you help try to guide them with that? I really do my best to love them and guide them as little as possible, actually. And I can see as I say that all these images flash in my head about where that's not true, actually. One of the things that I work with is teaching legal insurance, financial and tax, right? So we call it lift, teaching these lift concepts that I had to learn through making probably $5 million worth of mistakes as I've built all these businesses over the years. And I really just want to save people from making those mistakes in their own lives and businesses because it's really painful uh, to make those mistakes. And so I really I want to teach these things to really mostly my daughter, interestingly. I don't seem to push it on my son as much, and I'm curious about that. Yeah. I definitely treat them different, and I am definitely, without question, have a higher and harder standard on my daughter in, when it comes to money and her own independence. It's been interesting for me to watch that. She's yeah. older, so that might be part of it, but also there's something about, because I'm a woman and she's a woman, and I just have these like higher expectations, like in a way, like I make more excuse, like I make more leeway for my son excuses yeah. like oh whatever I really want her to get these concepts yeah and she has sometimes been really upset with me and it's funny because my parents didn't give me anything they gave me no money I shouldn't say they didn't give me anything they gave me something of course they gave me a lot of yeah things. okay they gave me a lot of things but they didn't give me money. And I started working at 14 years old. I filled out all my own financial aid forms for college. And I really had to be on my own in that regard. They were not really good role models in that respect. And so with my daughter, I have really, I made her get a business entity so that I could pay her business entity for services. And then she could write off her business expenses as tax deductions. Things like her program, she went to makeup artistry trainings. She's a makeup artist. And so rather than me just paying for her trainings, cool. yeah, yeah. Okay, you set up your business entity. I will pay your business entity. And then you pay for your school. And then you write off your tuition as business. Yeah. She was so mad because... I'm making her life more difficult and it's frustrating for her. Holding that line of doing what I think is the right thing, because that's to me, that's the right thing is actually to yeah. do this structure while at the same time dealing with her anger and frustration about it and then not getting mad at her, but instead just having compassion for her anger and frustration because it is a lot to learn at whatever, 21, 22, 23 years old, however old she was during the time that she's learning it. And it's really beautiful because now I hear her saying things about business entities and bookkeeping and tax structures. It's second nature to her. Yeah. Second nature to her. 
And so it's very rewarding now because she got it. She got yeah. it. And so really knowing that balance of like when to do things that make them angry. I wouldn't even say push, but when to do things that make them angry and love them through it and when when not to do it. The, the next thing that where this will arise is that my son wants to go into the military. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately I support whatever he chooses. I want to be supportive of him. I do I'd really rather he find something else. Yeah. Because so many reasons. And if he chooses to go into the military, I will honor and respect him and support him in every way I can. And I also at the same time do see it as very, his desire is very honorable and noble. He's a protector. And yeah. there's really not good options for protectors or men in this world to find what he's looking for. So all, what I am doing is giving him as many opportunities as I can to potentially find the so I sent him to Alaska for a backpacking program for 30 days. If he decides he wants to go to Thailand to fight Muay Thai, I'll support him to do that. Just to see, maybe he'll find something else. I'm not going to get mad at him for his choices. But you're going to provide opportunity for an alternative. Yes. Yeah. And, if he, and if one comes, great. And if it doesn't, full support of whatever he chooses. Amazing. I love that. And I think that the, it comes back to that masculine and feminine. And I'm thinking I'm typically a little more left-brained and logical. And typically someone exactly. that goes into the law field is also. Yes. You definitely have a creative side and spirit to you. But typically someone that's pursuing that type of life and degree is also in that kind of strategic mindset more often than not. And that becomes a little more natural. And we have to set up those foundations, whether it's as parenting and our business as who we are as a person. And I think that it's really beautiful what you're saying is you're helping say, hey, I want you to go do this in your way. And I'm going to help you have the right foundation to do it in a way that is going to support you in the long haul in the best way possible. Now, at the core, what your business is, we've talked so much about the personal side of it, but at the core, your business is really helping have the best legal and financial foundation as a family and as a business and as whatever you're navigating in your life to have the right things set up. So I think that is so important for everyone, but everyone doesn't understand that. And like you said, I was not necessarily given that information as a young adult or as a child and had to learn so much of it myself. So if someone's in that boat where they're, yeah, legal setup and financial setup, that's for rich people, that's for business owners, that's for people that have these different things. I now know that's not true. So what are some of the tidbits of information that you could give someone as we start the conversation of why this is for everyone and they need to listen up? By the way, I thought this thing, even after I graduated law school, I still thought because I'm working on Warren Buffett's transactions in the law firm that I started at. So when I started my own law firm, I was like, this stuff doesn't apply to me not little old me. I'm just me. But then I didn't know I was building a business. And I remember going to my CPA at the time and I said, I know I'm supposed to be seeing some numbers or some reports or something. (laughs) What am I supposed to be looking at? And she said, well, it depends what you want to know. But I didn't know what I wanted to know. So I think the starting place that I would 
say is to really make the decision that you want to use the legal insurance, financial and tax systems. I call that lift systems in your life in a way that is strategic and smart for wherever you and your family are. So if you don't have your own business, then okay, you don't need to learn everything about business. But you still would need to learn about how to make sure that your children are taken care of if anything happens to you, how to make sure that you're leaving behind the right amount of money for them, how to make sure that if you or your spouse or partner were to become hospitalized or die, that there would be the resources that you need. It's like actually looking at the real, right? These are the real things that if, when we plan for them, First of all, it doesn't make it more likely that they'll happen. And in fact, I think I saw, Kelsey, on your uh, page, I was looking at it before the show, that you were in some sort of uh, emergency room I was, situation. Yeah. What was? And my son was only a year old. Mm-hmm. I had a planned surgery. And then two weeks later, I had complications that I ended up in the emergency room. I ended up passing out from blood loss. Wow. And I ended up being fine. But yeah, we didn't have anything set up. My son was only a year old. My husband, thankfully, knows how to do a lot of that. But that is really where this business came from. Because in that situation, I was like, wow, I was not prepared at, let's see, at the time, I was probably 20, almost 27. I was really young. And so I didn't think I needed all these things figured out. And so not only was I then figuring out my fulfillment and my the values I wanted to leave behind, and that's where this all came from. But I then also was like, oh, I should probably have some paperwork and some things set up to be organized. And so we did get a fast learning in realizing that we should have that. And my husband and I travel together. Sometimes we're together. And so we really did start to look into these things. But a lot of people don't plan ahead. And unfortunately, when you need it, sometimes it's too late. At that point, it's too late. That's right. Yeah. And and I think that this is in a way, especially for those of us that didn't grow up with resources, this is what keeps families poor. Mm-hmm. This is what keeps families trapped. This is like you, if you did not grow up with resources, you have an opportunity to break the cycle right now with your choices. And if you did grow up with resources, you have an opportunity right now actually to handle things for yourself in a way where your parents trust you now and will start to funnel resources to you now instead of waiting until they die, which is really important. Actually, it's really important because with the way that how long people live and all of that, like if you can step up your own adulthood, your own adulting to the point where your parents trust you and you don't have to wait another 40 years to get an inheritance, and you can actually get invested in now, you can make a huge impact with those resources throughout your lifetime, and you can have a much better life. And then if you don't have family resources coming to you, you can turn your life and your family's life around in one generation by your choices. You can actually do it. I am living proof of that. My kids are inheritors. They're going to inherit from me when I never, nobody in my family, my two generations ago, my family came over from Poland in the Holocaust and 
came to New York and were playing kick the can in the road, extremely poor. And yeah. now here I am in, in Costa Rica where I spend my winters. I changed that in my lifetime. And, and so you can change that in your lifetime. It does. When I look at what more I would have now, because yes, my children are going to inherit quite a bit just from my life insurance, by the way, <laughs> just yeah. from my life insurance. But my own life over the past 20 years was actually more difficult than it needed to be because I didn't understand a lot of these legal insurance, financial and tax concepts. It wasn't just the $5 million that I lost along the way. Money is money. Money comes and goes. It's, that's the least you actually need to worry about. It's your time, energy, and attention. It's the relationships. It's your health. Those are the things that are non-renewable. Those are the things that are really important. And so just starting with an understanding, actually, the, the very best place you can start is with an understanding of what do you have. And there's this concept that I've identified called money dysmorphia, which is this distorted view we have around money that causes us to sacrifice our non-renewable resources. Personally, that's time, energy, attention, relationships, and health. Those are our individual non-renewable resources. We sacrifice them all day, every day for money. Money is infinitely renewable when we know how to access it and use it wisely. Most of us mm. don't, but when we do, there's plenty of money out there. It's literally everywhere. Collectively, we can see we're sacrificing our non-renewable resources. Planetarily, we can see that. For money, right? We can see like with the Amazon cutting down all these trees in order to, that's like our, those are the lungs of our planet. We're cutting them down for like short-term profits or whatever. So we can stop doing that and we can understand what we really need from the legal insurance, financial and tax standpoint when we know what we have and where we, we have an honest, true understanding of what we have. How much do I have in the bank? How much do I have in my home? How much do I have in my retirement accounts? How much do I have in life insurance? How much debt do I have? How much equity is in my house? If I were to sell my house right now, how much would I get for it? If I don't even have a house, okay, how much is my car? How much am I going to receive from my parents? That's like a critically important question. Each asking and talking about and learning to ask it and talk about it in a way where our parents trust us mm -hmm. to have that conversation, that's a huge one. Being able to even talk about it even with our friends. Yeah. And it what they don't have, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the case for me. My mom is 75 and my sister and I have always known we would have to take care of her at the end of her life one way or another because she was an art teacher for 30 years. And mm -hmm. we knew that once she quit her art teaching job, she only has 200000 in retirement, which for some people is a tremendous amount. And for others, it's clearly not enough. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that if I wasn't supplementing her income at this point, thanks to an investment that she made in me, by the way, at a very challenging moment in my life, which was a huge healing in our relationship. Like, yeah. I hated my mom for a long time. 
And she came through for me when I really needed it, not with money, but with her credit score. She actually let me use her credit score after I had filed bankruptcy mm. to borrow money to restart. It That was a really big deal. And because of that, I'm now able to supplement her income. But yeah. if I wasn't, she'd be in a really bad place now. And mm -hmm. instead, she's living her best life. And that happened because my sister and I started having conversations with her. Really, when I asked her to invest in me, it was about seven years ago. And I was just really at this place of, okay, I know I need to rebuild. I don't have a credit anymore. I even gone to friends and asked them to invest in me, loan me money. They were like, no, we know you can do it. I had asked an ex-partner. He said no. And I, it was clear I had nowhere else to go. And life is one of those things where like life actually wanted me to have to be vulnerable with my mom. Yeah. That was quite a bit yeah. of healing work that needed to be done. And so getting into these conversations with our parents, because yeah, my sister and I know we're going to take care of my mom. Mm -hmm. She, it, Long-term care costs are between currently, and they're going to be a lot more over time, like seven and $10,000 a month for our parents. And again, I used to feel this big resentment. Oh my God, I'm going to have to take care of my mom. How am I ever going to do that? And I don't want to take care of her. And facing all of those things was critically important. There's 34, 30, 30 trillion to $84 trillion that are going to pass from the senior generation to the junior generation in the next 25 years, 30 to $84 trillion. That's more than our entire annual economy. But you'll also notice there's a 30 to 84. That's a big gap that makes the difference of between the 30 and the 84. How much of it gets wasted? Yeah. And that is dependent to me. That's dependent on the junior generation learning how to step up, see what we've got, understand what are the structures that I can put in place that will create self-trust. And that can start with actually naming legal guardians for your child. That can start with getting your own foundational estate plan in place your will and your trust and your health care directive, your power of attorney, an inventory of your assets, clear instructions to everybody that you want to handle something for you mm -hmm. when something happens, because eventually something will happen. It yeah, hopefully won't be for a very long time. But when it happens, getting the right amount and type of life insurance in place, all of these little things what they end up adding up to, interestingly enough, is, is life rewarding you even more. So, you know, if there's like parts of you where you're like, oh, I don't even have the time, I don't have the mental energy. The amazing thing is, is like, I didn't have the time or mental energy either. But then, for example, when I got audited on my taxes, I was I went through a divorce in 2005, right after I started my business. In 2007, I get the letter in the mail. I'm getting audited for 2005. I had already known that my books were messed up because the forensic accountant in our divorce looked at me at one point. He said, wow, Alexis, that was my name at the time. Your books are really messed up. And I was like, oh, God, 
but I didn't have the, I didn't think I had the time then to handle yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So then 2007 comes. Now it's like even more time, even more money. Yeah. And, and what I, what I learned from that actually is it wasn't that I didn't have the time or the money. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get my books set up properly. Asked my CPA, yeah. Carrie, what am I supposed to be looking at? It just depends what you want to know. But I didn't know what I wanted to know. And so I think that's why I've been so committed to creating really in some ways like an inordinate amount of content to make sure that everything that I have learned gets shared and taught to the people that need to know it to yeah. be able to not have to go through the same. Because we have to take that self-ownership, right? Because if we don't deal with it, it becomes someone else's problem. And I think yeah. what has hit me so hard in my adulthood is it is not fair to leave whoever's grieving or processing what it, our departure to then also figure out all of our mistakes financially, legally, paperwork-wise. They've got enough going on, and our job is to do a good job setting them up to be able to grieve appropriately and handle that in a way that they don't have to take on our burdens. And I think that's so important. I think one of the first places to start is with your book, Wear Clean Underwear. <laughs> and I love the title. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what people can learn in that because you named a couple of the very first starting places, right? Estate planning, power of attorney, healthcare directive, naming a legal guardian. Those are some of the first foundational paperwork pieces that we really need to make sure that we have together. But this lift model takes it even farther than that, right? And your book takes it into a couple different directions too. So what are some of the things that would be able to unpack from that that they can take action on? And someone getting off this podcast today, what is the first step they should take? If they're like, I don't have any of this under control, you're totally calling me out. And one of the things that you said is that when we don't have the time now, what I took from it is, this realization that I've seen show up in my life too is you can't get more when you can't honor what you have. If you don't have good money habits, then you're probably not going to get more money because you're not honoring what you have. If you yeah. want an organized house, before you have all your clear bins and your labels and all the great things, honor what you have. Organize and declutter what you have. If you want to have a peaceful home or a peaceful communication and environment, until you get what you have under control, you're not going to get all these other new things given to you by whatever you believe in the universe. I think that it's important to say, let's get our own stuff in order and allow room for more. If someone's listening in and they need to take one step, what is, I know your book walks you them through that, but what's the first step that they would take? So yeah, there's the book, Wear Clean Underwear is the title because your mom always maybe told you to wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. But once you're a parent, wearing clean underwear alone is no longer enough. There's important legal planning steps you need to take. So it'll walk you through these three stories, choose your own adventure style stories that help you see what would be the right next step for you. But there's one, there is one step that literally every parent should take, and that is to name, legally name long-term guardians for your children. And so you can name long-term guardians. This is the very first website that I ever created after my law practice. The very first tool, I created a, a site called kidsprotectionplan.com. 
it's going to get a big upgrade in the next one to two years. It currently works, but it's yeah super old school looking. You can go there, name, legally document a series of people to be the people that will step in to raise your children if you cannot do it for yourself. And do you need to inform those people? Do they need, what does that communicate? Obviously, you should probably give people a heads up. Hey, you're my legal guardian. But what happens if someone declines? What's the process that should happen there? So the way that we recommend it and the way that our lawyers do it is, first of all, you never name just one. And Mm -hmm. the website will actually walk you through a process of eliminating and choosing and making sure that you're naming backups and that you're naming your backups in the right way because there's actually these six common mistakes that parents and even lawyers make when naming guardians and backups. And I identified it as a lawyer and a mom who had an estate plan in place. You'll read about this in the book. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're doing it all wrong. This is crazy. So the website will walk you through that. And yeah, one of the things our lawyers do is send out letters to the people that have been named giving them the legal documentation that they would need to have in hand if something happens. And the reason that we do that is because we want to make sure that everybody knows. And this might be actually an opportunity for you to start building more relationship with your child and the people that you've named. You don't want to be leaving your children ultimately in the care of people they don't even know because, oh, they're my third backup and they're my cousin and it'd be better than whoever a judge would choose. Sure. Yes. Okay, great. Then let's start building relationship with them. Let's make sure we see them once a year. Yeah. At least, (laughs) ideally. (laughs) And so there's there's really, I would say that's for you, for your children, that is the bare minimum without question, legal documentation of your guardian determination. Now, that is just obviously a tiny piece, right? If your guardians do not live near you, like mine did not. My mom lived 3,000 miles away. I was in LA. She was in Miami. She was my first choice. Then you need temporary guardians. You need the people who live near you and they need to have authorization, legal authorization. And your babysitter that you leave your kids with when you go out to dinner, needs to know who to call those local people if something were to happen to you. And those people need to have the legal authorization because otherwise the police are going to show up at the house. They have to take the kids into the care of strangers. But maybe it's not like foster care, but somebody that's the authorities until they can figure out, okay, who's got legal authority here? If you've made that clear, if you give the police another alternative other than doing that, they're going to take that other alternative. They don't want to take your kids into the care of strangers. You want to create that paper trail. I call that whole thing a kid's protection plan. And you can do that on your own. You can work with a personal family lawyer to do it. And by the way, you can get a copy of that book, Wear Clean Underwear, for free on the personal family lawyer website. So if you go to personalfamilylawyer.com in the resources section, you can get a copy of Wear Clean Underwear for free. You can read it. You can see a training that I did there as well. There's a training. And then, of course, you can actually name legal guardians at kidsprotection.com. 
So helpful. Thank you so much. All the other places that people can connect with you before our last final questions here. I know you have multiple Instagram accounts and your podcast. So where would you love people to come and say their biggest takeaway from today? Well, if you want to share your biggest takeaway from today, when I post about this podcast on my Instagram, you come and leave me a comment right there and tell me that you're coming here, coming to me from Kelsey and the Mama Has Goals podcast. And I would love to hear from you there. I love it. And your podcast guided. You have a co-host, Amanda, on that. When can people tune in when you're releasing episodes? We're actually closing down that podcast. Uh, It will be up. It will live forever in Apple, Spotify. It's called Guided. It's a really beautiful podcast. And we're changing things up. We actually just recorded our final episode of Guided. It's called Guided, The Courage to Listen and Act. And... I feel as if we said what we had to say. We did it. We did the thing. We said what we had to say. I think it's a, it'll be like forever there. People can watch, binge it at any time. And there's some big projects that I have coming for 2024, including a new podcast that I will be releasing, including a, I hope reality show that ultimately I will be creating. We'll see. Reality show is a whole big process, but that is uh, something that I'm really excited about to show people. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we're in the new year when this gets released and people always have this new year energy, these new goals. They want to become this new version of themselves. So obviously we want to encourage them to go do all those paperwork and things that we chatted about and have that be a goal for 2024. If someone else is really looking to take their money mindset, they're using these lift techniques to the next level how would you recommend that they set some legal financial goals for the new year? I think a great place to start is I have a quiz. It's called the Money Dysmorphia Blind Spot Quiz. So if you don't have a business right now, taking this Money Dysmorphia Blind Spot Quiz is a really great place to see where to start because it will help you see where I not actually living into what's true when it comes to money. So that's a great thing to do. Money dysmorphia blind spot quiz. On the flip side, if you have a business, I actually have a 20 point lift business confidence assessment and it will take you through legal insurance, financial tax, 20 points. You can rank your business and then you'll know where to start for your business because there's the personal and there's the business. And so those are two really good resources and you can put those in the show notes, Kelsey. Awesome. Yeah. And those are at Eyes Wide Open Collective. Is that correct? That's right. Eyes Wide Open Collective.com. Perfect. So yeah, we'll link all of that in the show notes. This was such a good conversation, Ali. I just want to thank you so much from the standpoint of being a mom and now empty nester. And we could definitely go into so much more. We'll have to have you back. But I just encourage everyone to follow you and really go into your world. And I love how you've taken your spiritual journey alongside this like real, this is how we run life and business kind of side. If you were to leave our listeners again, we've talked about the tactics of here's the next step you should take to get these life things under control. But from more of that mindset, spiritual side and just coming into yourself, if you were to give them one little piece of advice as they depart us today, what would Mm. that be? To really know how much creative power you actually have to create your life as you want it to be. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard from a lot of people is, 
you will way overestimate, especially when you have little kids, what you can do in one year. Yeah. And you will way underestimate what you can do in 10. Yeah. Dream big. Dream big. Really dream big about what you can create, what you can do in the world. And then just keep loving yourself each step of the way. We talk about self-love. What is self-love? Self-love is making mistakes, loving yourself through them, having compassion and forgiveness, recognizing that mistakes is how we learn. Contrast is how we learn. You don't always, you won't know what you want until you know what you want. And sometimes that means seeing what you don't want. So really forgive yourself, really have compassion for yourself, really recognize that you're always learning, growing, and evolving. Be gentle with yourself and dream really big. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Kelsey. Sometimes the smallest act of love is all a mom needs to feel reinvigorated. If you can relate to that, I'd feel so supported by your five-star rating and written review. Take a moment and let me know what you thought about this episode.